uh, 1 Corinthians 12 again, and then Ephesians 4. So Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Get your fingers ready because um, well, if you need to, just rip a page out of a songbook, stick it in there, you know, and hold your place, right? Uh, already done, Phil says. All right, yeah. Just don't take a Be Thou My Vision out of the songbook. That's my favorite one, okay? So, so any other pages are fine, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, it says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. This verse describes uh, our Lord uh, giving several reasons, actually, why uh, he should be recognized as being preeminent in all things. But uh, it's the first half of the verse that we want to draw our attention to, that he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, the Colossian church was a, a, a congregation much, much like ours. Um, now, now, they were very, uh, of course, the culture was very different, uh, but they had the same problems we face, uh, dealt with the same things that we deal with. Uh, you know, in the future, there's going to be a time when we all get together. We're going to meet the Colossian believers. Uh, we're going to meet the Galatians. I like when Paul said, thou, thou foolish Galatians. Boy, in, in some translations, he was not that kind when he said that, but... Uh, we get to meet some of these, uh, some of these folks that, that kn- knew the Lord. We'll get to meet them in the future. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, and uh, look at this a little later. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the saints of just men made perfect. We get to gather together like that sometime in the future. Uh, but for now, though, Christians gather in congregations. They gather in churches just like this. Now, we learned last week that the phrase the body of Christ is another name for a church congregation. Uh, so Northland Bible Church is a body of Christ, just like other churches that are constituted in New Testament fashion are bodies of Christ. And there are some benefits to actually joining the church that you attend. Uh, we're going to look at some of these uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to try to look how, how, how you are blessed by God for being a member of the church that you actually attend, a member of the body of Christ that you attend. So we're going to look at six benefits this morning associated with being a member of this church, not just this church, but any church that is fashioned in Newton after, the, after the pattern of the New Testament. So first of all, benefit number one, in this church, uh, if, 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 if you are here, this is where God has placed you, right? Uh, now, now, have you ever wondered what it would be like to, to actually belong someplace, to know where it is that God wants you to be? Uh, if you're a Christian who's been baptized and, and you become a member of this church, then, then that sense of, of deep belonging can be yours because it arises from the truth of the word of God. Uh, if that sense of belonging is not yours, it's, it's, it's really not a deficiency on God's part necessarily. Maybe you just haven't realized that this benefit is available to you. Uh, listen to what 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says. It says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Now you realize what that means for the church member. It means that you are part of this congregation because God placed you here because God placed you here you belong here 
So understand that, that God makes various use of, of, of means to get a sinner saved, to get a sinner baptized into the church, such as ours, those like ours. But no matter the means used, as long as it's scriptural and it's honoring to God, it is God who is doing the setting of the various members in this body. You're part of this congregation because God has placed you here. This is where he wants you to be. You, you belong here. And sadly, you know, folks spend their entire lives without any real sense of belonging and without any credible basis for believing that they really do belong someplace. But you have the testimony of God's word that, that reflects God's love for you in such a way that, that he has given you a place He's given you this church where, where, where not only you do truly belong, but where you can feel and enjoy that sense of belonging. Another benefit is that in this church, you are necessary and you are important, every single one of you. You know, it seems that, that Juno Christianity is, is kind of a, they have the idea of kind of revolving door attendance in churches you know with folks approaching church attendance the way that you would do a restaurant you know just kind of you know picking and choosing what you want rather than submitting to the revealed will of God but but notice if you're found first Corinthians 12 let's uh, begin reading in verse 19 that that that, that, that Paul seeks to impress upon the Corinthians uh, a different idea than the revolving door here he says in verse 19 of first Corinthians 12 and if they were all one member where were the body and now uh, are, they, are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness." For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. The point that Paul is making in this passage, among other things, is, is that each and every one of us, is different having a role to fulfill in the proper functioning of our congregation. True, some are more prominent than others, but none of us are without importance. None of us are unnecessary. Truth be told, we are, we are intimately linked together uh, so much so that when one of us is having a rough time, it affects us all. So because we, we, we each have an important role in this church's ministry, each of us should have the same care one for another. It boils down to this. Now you, you may not get a lot of attaboys or, or, or pats on the back, but, but that does not mean you are unimportant here. You may not feel like you're important, but that does not mean that you do not have a vital role to play in, in, in this church. Um, the church's life and ministry depends upon you. We should realize that because God has placed us where he has, 
It is important for us to be here. It's important because you are important. I mean, where, where could you go and what could you possibly do to be as necessary and as important as God's word shows you to be than in a local New Testament church? I, I don't think you're going to find a place. Thirdly, in this church, there is meaningful ministry for you. If you have your finger in Ephesians, go to chapter 4, verse 12. It shows that, that, that you, and, and I'm being serious, yes, you are a significant factor in the growth of this church. Okay? We need you for us to grow. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, the saints, which are church members like you, um, you, are, you are perfected, you are trained, you are completed, uh, you are prepared for the work of the ministry. And in this work of the ministry, which you do, it results in the rest of us being edified or, or, or built up, uh, this, this, this body of Christ growing. In short, this church grows as a result of what God uses you to do. You know, when a sinner comes to Christ, uh, they've been baptized, taught to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded, uh, great commission. Um, you know, that, that's the way it's supposed to happen. Formal instruction, formal training is, is completed most often by the pastor, but it doesn't have to be only the pastor. Okay, there are innumerable opportunities for each one of us to guide and instruct by example uh, that we set by, by the encouragement that, that you give and by the support that hope that, 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 that saved sinner, that baptized sinner, that, that saved person uh, that, that you provide for them. See, some things are just not learned in a formal setting. But we need one another to encourage one another, to edify one another, to minister to one another. I mean, I hope you see how important you are. Every, every nod, every smile, every kind gesture, every prayer, every kind word, every invitation to come back to church, every time you volunteer to do something or help someone. In this church, you have a ministry that is encouraging and it's meaningful. Now, some ministries are obviously more formal than others. I mean, our, our trustees, our song leaders, our teachers, they are more prominent. But no one's role is without meaning. No one's role is without purpose, without effect. So for the person who wants his life to count for something, in addition to being important, to have eternally meaningful positions to occupy, and find no better place than a church that is fashioned after the model of the New Testament church. But we see number four, another benefit. Is that in, in the church is, is, is fellowship. 
Now we see the, the concept of fellowship in the body of Christ. We've seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but uh, look at Ephesians 4.16, because Paul's a little more concise uh, in this verse. Ephesians 4.16, it says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Another translation says it this way. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. Now notice what verse 16 says. The effectual working in the measure of every part. Or it, that other translation, builds itself up with love as each one does its part. That means everybody has a part. Everybody has a responsibility. You know, it's no one person's job to take up all the slack. It's no one person's job to do all of what no one else will or what no one else wants to do. You know, it's not the pastor, not the pastor's wife, not the teachers, not the trustees. We have to get away from, from telling others what they need to do and do it themselves. We need to fulfill our responsibility. No one needs to be told, you know, what to do to stay busy. Uh, if you see a need, you fill the need, right? Uh, you don't tell somebody else you think they need to do it. You do your part. You fulfill your responsibility. Everybody does their part. When you're in a church with other brothers and sisters in Christ, when your life and your commitment to God is to serve God alongside them because the whole body has been fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth as a result of God's plan and God's purpose, then there's a level of fellowship that is accompanied by both feelings and experiences shared with those other church members. That, that kind of camaraderie, that kind of fellowship is unknown in the world. Sadly, there are worldly occupations that have something approaching what can be found in, in churches, uh, which is why those occupations have so few people that are really committed to to, 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 to serving God, uh, they get an approximation of this church camaraderie, this fellowship out in the world. And the tragedy with those occupations is that those, so that, that kind of camaraderie, uh, uh, it's, it's not spiritual. It's not, uh, it's not godly. It's emotionally and intellectually superficial, but, but it does substitute in the lives of so many in those occupations for what is really a deep and fulfilling camaraderie, the, the real profound communion that God desires each of us to enjoy by fellowshipping with one another. Now this fellowship, this, this camaraderie, comes only from men and women who have banded together to serve God in his gospel enterprise. You see, only this type of involvement counts for eternity. Only this type of involvement requires spiritual and personal holiness. Only this type of involvement calls upon God to co-labor with us in matters that, 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 
that he has declared as, as his causes and his concerns, not what you know, we want to do or our interests. The fifth benefit in this church is that there is growth and there is love. There is growth and there is love. You've already seen Ephesians 4.12, the reference to the edifying of the body. Notice then the last phrase in chapter 4, verse 16, that it's maketh, uh, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. Both verses touch on the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. I mean, where else but in your church is there a promise of spiritual growth for the child of God? I mean, there are other passages in the Bible that speak of a Christian growing and maturing, but when rightly understood, that growth, not only numerically, you know, but also by the, by the maturing of the individual uh, Christian, it takes place best when we're assembled together. I mean, why does Christian growth in maturity take place best in this situation? Well, there's all sorts of reasons for this, from the oversight of the leadership to, to, to the discipline of the church to, to the exhortation of other believers. But the reason that Paul connects uh, those passages with, with us and our growth is that what we do, we do in love. We do because we love Christ and we love one another. If you're still in Ephesians 4, uh, I want you to find verse 17. We're going to read 17 down to 32 here. Uh, and I want you to see how the love for one another is that, that is mentioned in verse 16 is put into action in verses 17 to 32. All right? He says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Remember being unsaved? Remember that blindness, that darkness? Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have learned him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may, be, uh, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and, and evil speaking be, be, put away with, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
Look, there is, there is no place on earth where you'll be treated better and, 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 and with more, more love than the place where God has challenged uh, you to behave this way towards others and he has challenged others to behave this way towards you. I mean, where you are truly loved, you will really grow. And, and as imperfect a place as this church is, I know we have our warts, and sometimes we seem like just a bunch of porcupines trying to hug each other without getting stuck, okay? We're, I, 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 I get that. But it's a place that people are loved with a God-given love. You cannot find that out in the world. So you see, those, those who want no part of the church, those who want no part of this church, are those who have no personal commitment to their own spiritual growth, first of all, and they have no yearning for the love of their brothers and sisters in Christ, secondly. I mean, it's kind of alarming because of, of what Jesus has commanded us. In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. In chapter 15, verse 12 of John, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And then in verse, 15, uh, verse 17, he says, These things I command you, that you love one another. Can you love us if you leave us? Can we love you if you leave us? Are you loving if you leave? How will we love you if we don't gather together? Love and personal growth as a Christian come together in a local assembly just like this. And sixth, the last thing, that in this church there is Christ's deliverance and there is his guidance. Notice the last half of Ephesians chapter 5 if you're still in Ephesians. 523 says even as Christ is the head of the uh, head of the church and he is the savior of the body right now notice that even as Christ is the head of the church he's a savior of the body we saw in 1 Corinthians 118 that he is the head of the body the church now I don't rightly know how to reconcile the fact that when our Lord Jesus Christ the savior he is to be trusted and believed, yet at the same time, those who trust him are promised persecution, and in some parts of the world, even martyrdom is faced. I don't know how to reconcile that. I can accept what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let it be sufficient to say that, that our Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is quite capable of delivering anyone at any time from anything, whether it's an individual Christian or it's an entire congregation. But here in Ephesians 5.23, it suggests that there is an aspect of our Lord's deliverance that applies to a congregation. Perhaps this is accomplished when church members exhort each other and encourage each other and love each other in times of difficulty and discouragement. 
Many of us have experienced this in our Christian life from fellow church members that have come alongside us and put an arm around us and says, I know you're struggling and I love you and I'm praying for you. There is nothing more encouraging and uplifting and edifying than crawling into somebody's life and, 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 and letting Jesus use you to love them. That's the body of Christ. So there's the benefit of his guidance, of his direction, of his wisdom, of his protection for those who are members of this church that's not guaranteed in the same fashion as those who are not part of the church. You know, a lot of folks think that there's no benefit to being a church member. Of course, a church does a person no good if, first of all, if that person happens to not be truly saved, they don't know Jesus as their Savior, they're not really going to benefit much from, from church membership, except, you know, they'll have the benefit of sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word. That, that will be a benefit to them. If they come to Christ, it's going to be a blessing for them to be here. But if he refuses Christ, that same opportunity become, becomes a curse. It becomes a place of... Uh, It was a place of condemnation. But that's if the person's not saved. The person doesn't come to Christ. See, God places Christians in the body. Since God is good and since God is gracious, that means that a Christian is then blessed when God places them in a congregation. It should be no surprise to anyone then that because God has placed a Christian in uh, the church, that he would then be important, that, that that person would be necessary to the church, whatever appearances to the contrary might suggest. Uh, there is meaningful ministry, there is meaningful fellowship, and there is growth, and there is love, and there is deliverance, and there is guidance. Now, each of these benefits is declared to be directly associated with, with a congregation, with a body of Christ, which is for us, us. Okay. Um, some of you der- derive benefits from the church, even though you're, you're, you're either not saved and or you're not a member uh, of the congregation. Just imagine then what benefits would, would directly accrue to you if you were, first of all, saved if you're not saved, and then a member if you're not a member. Um, I mean, the benefits of obedience, first of all, would be yours. The benefits of, of, of fellowship and growth and, 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 and serving God in a way that matters for all eternity. There, there are benefits to joining the church you attend. God seems to work best in the life of a believer when they are connected with other believers. The Lone Ranger Christian idea is not found in Scripture. When it says that man should not be alone in Genesis, that's so much more than just, man, i got to find me a good wife. No, we were, we were made for community. We were made for mutual accountability. We were made for mutual encouragement. The world cannot offer that. 
but a church of Jesus Christ can. You might be here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and this is all brand spanking new to you. You may have been here a while. Uh, maybe you've come and you're not a member. Um, I'd like you to rethink your position. God has laid out for us some benefits, and he wants you connected because he wants you blessed. Well, stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would, please. Father, this morning we want to thank you once again for your word, for its authority, for its instruction. We thank you, Father, for your spirit being our uh, illuminator, the one who gives us understanding of your word. And Father, we want to uh, Father, we want to ask that if there is someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, they've never trusted him to save them from their sins, they've never repented of their sins and fallen at, at, at Jesus' feet, Lord, to um, have their sins wiped clean. I pray, Father, that you would convict them of their sin. I pray that you would convince them that they desperately need to come to Jesus to be saved, that he is their only hope, their only refuge from the wrath to come. And I pray, Father, for uh, anyone that's uh, just wondering about you know, joining the church, church membership. It seems like just a formality on one level, but Lord, your word shows us something different. That there's an intentionality um, about joining with the people that you fellowship with. So I pray that you would lead there as well. Pray that you'd receive honor and glory for the service today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you come ahead?